Good morning. Oh, happy Mother's Day and a warm day and a great day because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wonderful. I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're here. And as others come in, we want to make sure they feel right at home as well. Good to see you guys. Um, and, and online, too. Welcome, everybody. It's a special day, isn't it, Mother's Day? Um, and we want to remember that in all these circumstances, God has given us life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So with that, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this gorgeous, beautiful, brilliant day. We thank you, God, for the warmth of the sun, and we thank you for the cool of the morning that we can come and worship you, Lord. Thank you for our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the right relationship that you've given us, that we have received and believed the good news of Christ. And so, God, we're here today to give you thanks. We're here to be praising you. We're here to be restored and refreshed and encouraged. We're here to give you praise for mothers that gave us life. Thank you, Lord. All your works are wonderful, and we thank you, God, on this very special day for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and let's celebrate. Good morning. your great name all condemned feel no shame at the sound of your great name every fear has no place at the sound of your great name Oh 
gets sweeter and sweeter, doesn't it? You were the word at the beginning. brothers and sisters. Lord God, we want to lift you up and we want to thank you and have hearts of gratitude, Lord. In every situation, Lord, you call us to give, give thanks and to rejoice. And Lord, there are situations in our lives right now, and I, I know, Father, that you know the whole story. And we just thank you and praise you that you are in control. And Father, the wonderful thing that you do for us is you never let go of us. You never let go of us. And we're so grateful, Father, for your presence in our lives. Thank you, Jesus.
fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold, he must hold me Heavenly Father, Jesus told us that all those that you give him, he will never let go. And Father, thank you that you do, in fact, hold us fast. That despite ourselves, despite our sin, Lord God, your grace is so much greater. And God, we come because you've loved us. We've come because you've shown us grace and mercy. We come here, Lord God, seeking refreshment for our souls, for comfort as we need it, for assurance of our salvation. Lord God, we come to appreciate your saving grace even more today, that it isn't something we've done, it's what you have done for us. And so God, with all humility and and returning your love through our hearts, Lord God, that your spirit has poured into us, we want to say thank you, Lord on this Mother's Day for life, for the physical life we have. We wouldn't be here without a mother that gave us birth. And Lord God, we thank you for our spiritual life that your Holy Spirit has brought us, making us truly alive and reuniting us with you and as a family. God, we are so thankful. We love you. 
thank you that you never let us go. You hold us fast. In Jesus' name we give you praise. Amen. Uh, please be seated. Just a couple of quick things to say on this Mother's Day. Uh, first of all, we did hold a Presbytery meeting here, and I want to thank all of our many volunteers who dove in. Uh, always there's a glitch here and there, but it all worked out, and our team scrambled successfully, and everybody went home happy and well-fed and blessed and nurtured, and so we're grateful for that. Uh, so again, thank you all very, very much. Um, Jenny and I are a little distracted this morning. Our grandson's heading for the hospital with breathing issues up in Vancouver. I just want to mention that in case my sermon goes uh, later, later, later on. Um, my brain is a little bit full of prayer at the moment for that little guy. Um, so I would ask that you pray for little Maddox as he's heading out there. It could be asthma, it could be anything. We don't know. But I also wanted to thank all the moms and, and grandmas here this morning. You were very instrumental in our lives. Well, we may not be genetically connected per se, but you do make a difference in the body of Christ because we all witness and model and share and love on one another, and moms are really incredibly important for everybody, old and young alike. So appreciated. I've chosen a, uh, a video that I thought kind of really captures the importance of moms and the appreciation that we have for them. Let's watch. We hear you, Mom. We always have. Because you have a special way of saying things. Things like, don't touch that. What happened to this wound? I don't care what kind of phone they have. Because they love you, that's why. I'm not asking you again. Get back in there and brush them right. No, I don't want to see the trick you can do with your eyelids. Can anybody flush around here? Leftovers. Deal with it. You can keep asking, but the answer is still no. I'm in the bathroom! Please just give me one minute. You are 16. For the love of all that is holy, put on some clothes. Three dozen cupcakes by when? Math homework. Yay. Let's both take a deep breath. When's the last time you took a shower? Please do not lick me. Not fair. The fair comes in October. It's a good thing you're cute. Did you wash your hands? How can we be out? I just bought a whole week's worth of groceries. You cut what with the good scissors? That was your teacher on the phone. Why pay that kind of money when I can sew you a dress? I believe in you. You can do this. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has a great plan and a big purpose for your life. Don't forget that. Hey, Mom, we do hear you. Now heal us. We love you. We're so thankful for all the things you say. And all that you do for us. Even if we don't always show it. Happy Mother's Day. Now get to bed, I'm tired. Didn't that just really hit the spot? I thought that was pretty realistic. But thank the Lord that we've got uh, mothers here in the church that 
take care of the nursery and the Sunday school and each other. And um, just at the Presbytery meeting, uh, one of our folks was describing the women in our church to the people at Presbytery, and the comment they made was, the women at our church are so amazing. Praise the Lord. That's, that's God's gift that we share with each other. So happy Mother's Day. Um, I'd like to invite the team that's coming up now to share with us their, their forthcoming trip to Tunisia. And I guess there she is. Good, good, good. Christine's going to lead the way on this. If you think this is warm, <laughs> try North Africa. Good morning. Hi. What a gorgeous day. And I was thinking this morning as I got up and I went outside, whoa, it's warm already. And getting us in shape already for Tunisia. So Jack, Brenda, and I are here just to launch our 30 days of prayer um, in preparation for us leaving for Tunisia. We'll be leaving um, 22nd ish of June. I'll be a couple of days ahead of the team. Um, and our team is still coming together. So prayers for that as well, that all the last minute decisions that are being made um, will come together, that the team will unite um, in our purpose, that we will gel well, um, that we will be united in um, ultimately in what our, our aim is, and that is to be a light to this beautiful nation, to the people in this beautiful nation. So um, we're asking for 30 days of prayer and preparation. And then if you would like to be part of our ongoing team to help support with prayer and also financially, please do let us know. Um, we also have Elizabeth. Yes. yes. Um, we also have Elizabeth Hanthorn who will be working with YD this summer. Um, and so we are looking for additional support for our adult missions. If you would like to support that, please just make your offering over and above your usual um, and designate it for adult missions. If you have any questions, please let us know. We would be happy to talk to you further about both um, the Hanthorn um, adventure as well as our own to Tunisia. Since we were kind of prepared, but not completely prepared, <laughs> we will have a, a sign-up list if you want to do the 30 for 30. So you can put your name and email down there so that we can contact you and keep you updated to what's going on. And we'll put that in the office on the counter, and you can go in and sign that. Thank you. Father God, we're so thankful that you're preparing us in so many ways. And we just thank you for Elizabeth and her commitment to go again this summer. And we ask blessings on her and upon what we're doing for you. We know that you've called us. But, Father, we also know you've called every single person um, that loves you to be you to the folks around them. It doesn't mean the four spiritual laws, but, Father, we just ask for opportunities. And we ask for boldness for each and every one of us. In your precious and wonderful son's name, amen. Thank you so much. Oh, Jack, you want to 
Okay, you got it all right? Okay. The kids are free to head down the hallway now for Sunday school, and Gabe's here for middle and high schoolers. Praise the Lord. All right. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. Very much appreciated. I'd like to invite the rest of us to turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to finish Romans chapter 5 this morning as we continue through this wonderful letter. If you want to see preceding sermons, they're all archived on our church's website, so if you want to catch up on where we've been, uh, feel free to do that. We're in the midst of a section now that's chapters 5 through 8. Chapters 5 and 8 are like bookends. They are very similar in their structure and what their messaging is. Uh, 6 and 7, chapter 6 and 7, are all about concerns that people have about sin interfering with our salvation, and Paul deals with those very questions, and very real questions as well, so we'll get there in a couple of weeks. Romans 5, 12 to 21, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we ask now that your holy word would leap off the page, touch our hearts, inspire us, renew us, refresh us, and give us, Lord God, a greater appreciation of your grace. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin isn't taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, this is good, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, if that isn't the most convoluted start to a sermon, I probably lost everybody on the second paragraph. That's this, and then there, and then over here, and it's like, didn't he say that already? And on and on it goes. It is uh, a little bit of a difficult passage. In fact, this might be one of the more difficult passages in the book of Romans when you look at the other pieces that are out there. Um, so it takes a while to let it uh, wrap around in our head. Here's the question I want to ask us to start this off this morning. Have you ever wondered why, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the consequences impact you and me? Shouldn't I have my own opportunity? 
Shouldn't I be able to show God that I'm in a different path, that I can behave myself, that I can do good things? And if I fall, isn't it my falling that then is the results in my death? But that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what Paul says. And there's, an, there's a similarity and a difference between Adam and Jesus that Paul is referring to that helps us grasp that very question properly and appreciate grace even more. But he doesn't tell us exactly how it works, this sin that we have in our lives, the nature that we have. I think there are clues, but the fact that it's real is very apparent, and that's where Paul takes us. Look at the first point that I want to make, Adam, sin, and universal death. Paul starts off with a bang in verse 12, and then he leaves it for many, many verses because he knows that how he starts is going to cause problems. It's going to raise questions in people's minds. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Well, first of all, what's the therefore, therefore, right? He's already talked about how we're saved and made right with God by a work of God on our behalf. We're saved by God, not ourselves. And out of that, then, he goes back to this um, concern about sin in our lives and how God's grace is even greater, and it's a gift that we've been given. First half is a general point. Adam brought sin into the world. Death reigned. He doesn't explain it. He just simply says, Adam's sin. Now, Eve is not mentioned. It could well be that because Adam, his name in Hebrew means all humanity, everybody. So he's just using Adam as a way of, of inclusion. So Eve's not off the hook, right? Women aren't free from this. This is all impacting all of humanity, and that's Paul's point. You look at Genesis 2, God commanded the man, you're free to eat from the tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Interestingly enough, theologians argue about what die means. At first, you think it's pretty obvious. Have you ever seen anybody die? We know what that means. Where the difficulty comes is, is it just physical death or is it spiritual and physical death? Are we dead to God while we're still breathing, basically, with a spirit that is separated from God? And that's, that's where the discussions come in. And I think that there's good evidence in what Paul is saying that it's both physical and spiritual. They really died and became separated from God. And the reason that that's there is if you look at the later verses in 18 and 19, he replaces the word death with very spiritual words. He says condemnation and we're made sinners. He's talking about both physical and spiritual beings here. And so the separation is there. How widespread is sin in humanity? It's global, isn't it? It's in us, it's in people we know, it's in the world, it's on the news. Death and destruction, it's everybody's problem except for one person, and that's Jesus. Jesus Christ. He didn't have a mortal father who was born into sin. He was a miraculous virgin birth source, right? God the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ the Son all that miraculously. When Jesus was born, he was born with a living spirit alive to God, not a dead one. And I think that's what uh, Scripture would direct us to. Does it mean that our own sins result then in our suffering and, and death? No, because if we are 
responsible for our own sin, then we are also responsible for our own righteousness. It's on us completely. Paul's point in doing all this back and forth and, and the difficulty of following his train of thought is this. We didn't ask to be sinners by nature. We didn't volunteer. I'll do it. It's just given to us because of what Adam had done. The comparison with Jesus is this. We didn't ask and wave our hands in the air and say, I want to be saved apart from God putting that in our hearts and giving us salvation. It's a gift from God, not something that, we, that God owes us or an, an achievement that we've received. So we didn't achieve sin. We were given that nature because we were dead to God. And then over here, we're given life from God. In both cases, we're, kind of, we're really not directly responsible, are we? There's a passivity to this. It's all going back to God's grace, a gift to us, and not something we have to achieve or earn. And that's really what Paul is doing in the biggest picture sense of all of those verses. He's helping us appreciate grace. What helped me get it, I think, is for me personally, not only do you look at the language of condemnation and sin that Paul uses in addition to the word de death, but he also, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, do you remember that very interesting night where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I want to know really who you are. You're doing some miraculous things. I mean, nobody could deny that it's, it's all God at work, but really, who are you? And instead of Jesus saying, well, I'm, I'm God the Son, eternal part of the Trinity, I mean, he doesn't go into all that that Nicodemus was looking for. Instead, he gets to the heart of what Nicodemus needed, really, not information. Nicodemus needs saving. He's a sinner who cannot solve the problem with the law of Moses. He cannot be good enough. So Jesus is saying, here's what you really need. And here's what he says in John 3. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. There's two elements there. One is a natural birth, and the other one is a spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. We all know that. And then he goes on to say, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. That is a supernatural, not natural event, right? You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. We can see the, the effects of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. To me, when I look at the clues and I look at the words and I look at how the Bible, Old and New Testament, puts it together, I think when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and were driven away from the tree of life and death was a consequence, spiritually they were dead to God at that point. When they had Cain and they had Abel and all the other children were born, you cannot pass along what you do not have. You can't give them a living spirit because you don't have one. So we're all born into that miserable start without a living connection with God in that sense, apart from God's grace. Then Jesus says, you've got to be born again. You've got to have a living spirit. to have that intimacy with God, that reconnection in the family of faith. This is an act of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God. It's a very intriguing thought. I, I'm not going to go any further than that. That's my 
Bruce Martin uh, take on things, but I think it makes sense to me in my own way, and I hope that it makes sense to you, that this is what happens and maybe explains why it is that all of us were given this nature of sin through the sin of Adam and Eve, and now here we are today, and everybody as well can be saved from that dark condition into his wonderful light. And that, though, is the Holy Spirit's doing. So then, can Paul clarify what he means? Yes. Even before the law, he says sinners died. Even before the law, sinners still died. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin isn't taken into account when there is no law. Now, that's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. The Jews at the time, at that time, many of them thought that there was really no sin prior to Moses on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. The general use of the word the law in the book of Romans refers to Exodus 19 to 24, God's commandments given to Moses for God's chosen people. And he's saying, well, if that's true, that there was no sin before the law was given, then nobody should have died. But we all know that people have died since Adam. Therefore, deduction, Sherlock Holmes here, if people are dying, then they must be sinners, even if they didn't know all the specific details, like the Ten Commandments. They knew. They knew enough, and they were all accountable to God. So what does sin is not taken into account mean? I think what it means is not that they were held unaccountable because they still died, but that on judgment day, that final judgment was withheld, waiting for the time of Christ and the, and the exercise or the application of God's grace for believers in the Old Testament and the New and ourselves today. It all comes to fruition in Christ. We were just studying Job Thursday morning here uh, at breakfast, and we ran across a very interesting chapter. When Job was written... It was maybe one of the earliest Old Testament books ever written. And it dates from about the time, or the circumstances of Job's life stem from about the time of Abraham. And we read the 31st chapter, and it was fascinating because not only does Job talk about, I know my Redeemer lives, and I'll be seeing him in my flesh, and even if my body dies, it'll be me that sees him. I mean, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about someone who pays the price for his sins. It's an incredible moment right smack dab in the middle of Job where we get the gospel forecasted. It's incredible. And not, how many of us enjoy reading Job? There is a rarity out there, I know. Dominic is one of his favorite books. Okay. In the 31st chapter, you find all kinds of ethics. Job says, I've not done this. I've made a covenant not to let my eyes lust. I've got all these different things, adultery, all kinds of things are mentioned in there, and he does not have the law of Moses yet, but he knows. And part of it is, having lived in a, in a Native American uh, village for three years, I learned that a lot of our world, in fact, all of our world prior to writing, oral cultures. And they're super, super fussy about how you tell a story. It better be right. So they'll sit around a campfire, and the leader will tell a story, and then the next person in line has to tell the same story, and they have to get it exactly right, or the leader says no. I told a story to a village elder up there that my uncle had told me that his Tlingit wife had shared with him, 
And, I, and he listened very quietly and very carefully. And when I was done, he said, you got it wrong, just like the campfire. And I said, what did I get wrong? And he said, it wasn't a, a knife, it was a flint stone on this little necklace that the guy was wearing. I mean, that little teeny element, it didn't change the message, which is basically a resurrection story. It didn't change the message of the story, but that little piece was so important to him, he had to fix it. We sometimes don't realize how exacting oral cultures are because we're so in the written word now today, right? Job had been handed down wisdom over the ages. And if you read the book carefully, it's all there. It's a fascinating account. So let's see what it says in chapter 1. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. He didn't know they'd sinned, but he thought just in case. And then he goes on to say, Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, well, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Maybe he couldn't identify it exactly, but he knew they were sinners, and they knew they weren't right with God, and that he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of his kids because he cared, and he knew that they were on the outs with God otherwise, right? So this is all part of a general understanding, and Paul says they knew, and they died as a consequence of their sins. They didn't need Moses to make it worse. Moses just made it clearer, but it was always there. They knew. And there was always accountability. Then thirdly, the contrast between Adam and Christ. He's now going to draw a parallel between the two that's not exact, but it's important that we grasp the bigger picture. Here's what he says. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more, that's so important, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned from that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. What's he saying? What's he saying? What's the pastor saying? <laughs> I want to just show you an easy contrast. This is what he's doing. There's a stark difference between life and death, right? He says about Adam, death reigned and still does. That's a consequence that we all know. He also says that judgment and condemnation is universal if that's all we have as Adam in our lives a natural birth without a spiritually alive relationship with God that the Spirit brings. Now, Christ, on the other hand, is a future guarantee that life reigns now and forever. It's a future tense. We look forward to it in hope, but it's so real. It's right now. And then also we're justified, declared that we're not sinners. We're made right with God. Justification and righteousness, it's all there. Again, the important difference is, did we ask to be sinners by nature. It was just handed to us as a consequence of Adam and Eve's decisions. And we've inherited that, you could say, spiritually. On the other hand, then, 
can we do anything to deserve salvation and righteousness with God? If we couldn't do anything to get us into this pickle, Paul says the contrast is we can't do anything to get us into a state of right relationships with God either. It's a gift from God. It's almost like Adam gave us that gift. We don't want that gift. God gives us another gift in Christ Jesus. And this is an all a gift from God and not something we have to work hard to make God give us. God's abundant provision of grace, the gift of righteousness, the reigning in life. That's the big difference. That's why Paul brings this out. So there's no universal salvation. It's, there's a difference. Whereas everybody except Christ is born into this dead condition with God, the many who receive the good news of Jesus Christ will be saved. This is a, a conditional statement over here, those who receive. Over here, everybody does. And Paul brought, brings out that difference. Some people uh, like to believe in universal salvation. I ran across uh, some people years ago who were at Merrillhurst College. They were professors there, and they said, uh, we teach about the cosmic Christ. I said, cosmic Christ? I'd never heard of the cosmic Christ. And I said, yes, Jesus died for the sins of everybody. They just don't know it. In other words, everybody goes to heaven, Buddhists, Hindus, you name it, no matter what, atheists, everybody, Christ has got it all covered. And sometimes people refer to these verses as like, if Adam caused this for everybody, then Jesus causes this for everybody, and that's not what Paul means. You can look at two texts real quick. He'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, in other words, who believe it. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. John 3, 18, 36. Whoever believes in him is condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not been made alive to God. Their spirit is still dead. That's why it's already in that state. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So what does Paul mean? Adam, because of his choices, now we are born into this state. We didn't do anything to get there. We're passive recipients of this. Now Paul says, how are we saved? It's not by what we've done. It's what Christ has done for us, and we receive that too. And so all who receive live in that wonderful reigning grace in life. Why is that important? Well, let's look at verses 18 and 19. Paul finally gets back to where he started. He's taken this little detour. Now he comes back to where that verse 12 started. He says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. How many acts of righteousness is required? Only Jesus. If you ever start to wonder, what do I have to do in order to be saved, Jesus already gave a group of people that answer. He said, believe in the one he sent. How many of us feel like we've really let God down from time to time and we've wandered off and we've done things we didn't want to do or we did things we knew we should not do and then we wonder about our relationship with God? Paul's point is we didn't deserve to be included in the first place 
And when we're included, when God's grace came into our lives and we were birthed by the Holy Spirit with a living spirit alive to God, His grace is greater than any sin thereafter. There's no way we can sin our way out of that wonderful state of grace. Even on our worst day. Isn't that good news? That's very encouraging to me. Maybe you're, maybe you're good. <laughs> but I'm very encouraged by this. Very encouraged. It's a good news that we have from God. For it is just through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lastly, because I know it's warm and it's Mother's Day, and by the way, after church, I hope you'll come down because we ordered too much food for Presbytery. And there are goodies aplenty down there in the fellowship hall. So at least stop by and grab something on your way out the door. Um, also, before I close there, I want to mention too, uh, we had taco night. And we ended up with way more food than, than anybody could eat. Praise the Lord. And so we've saved it for that first Sunday in June. Instead of having a barbecue, we're having taco Sunday. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. God works in mysterious ways. We have tacos now. I'm going to tell you something else. Did you deserve those tacos? It's a gift. See what I'm saying? When you go through the taco bar, we don't have a basket at the end of the taco bar for donations or required fees. Why do we do a taco bar? Because of love. Love of the family of faith. And wanting to have some party time, right? To have some fun. Will all of us then put on our best behavior and, and ethically have a great week so that we can deserve to come to the taco bar? Praise the Lord for the taco bar. Let's all behave ourselves so we can legitimately get in line and eat those tacos and feel good about it. No. You're going to eat that taco bar no matter what your week's been like because you're loved, you live in grace, grace reigns, life is celebrated, God is at work, praise the Lord, everybody's invited through Christ to come to that taco bar. It's like communion, really, but not quite on the same level, is it? but it's still great fun and great fellowship. And you don't have to earn it, deserve it, pay for it. It's a gift. That's what Paul is saying. You're hungry over here. You're starving. You're dying. You will be dead. But guess what? There's a cross bar on the cross. Come to that bar and find that you can lay it all down at the feet of Jesus and trust him and grace reigns. Never ever doubt that your sin could ruin your salvation. In Christ Jesus, you are declared justified and made righteous by the decree of God through what Christ accomplished for you. Adam accomplished our death, Jesus accomplished our life. Praise God. That's a great message. And so Paul, on the last point, says this, grace reigns. Grace reigns. 21, 2021, the law was added, the law of Moses, all those details, was added so the trespass might increase. In other words, you knew better and you still did it. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
So that just as sin reigned in death, so also what? Grace might reign through what? What we do? No. Through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Anybody want to hallelujah on that one? Isn't that great good news? That's, as you know, Peter said once, Paul's kind of hard to understand. And I think this is one of those passages where I think to myself, you know, Paul, you could have made it just a little more clear. You know, just cut to the chase. Tell us what the deal is. And, but he doesn't. He, he really weaves it through the Old Testament very, very carefully. In fact, there's more Old Testament references in Romans than any other book. And he's saying to the Jewish and the Christian community in Rome, look, you don't deserve salvation any more than you deserve to be born a sinner and die. However, let's not forget that in this part of the world, in this life with Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are right with God, you're justified, and you didn't deserve that either. But it's a gift of God. Here you are. Here you stand. God's grace is greater than what we think about ourselves over here. That's a gift from God, and I praise God for it every day. I'm so thankful that I'm saved by grace. Grace reigns. If you're ever a minister someday, and I hope that some of you uh, younger people will consider it, and even if you're in the middle age group, I hope that you'll pray about this and consider it. You'll find out that you need God's grace all the time. You do. This church is really wonderful. I, I laughed at Presbyterian and said, keep those cards and letters coming. <laughs> you, you're really wonderful, the, the things you've done and the people that you are and the movement of the Holy Spirit here. You know, this is my 29th year. What I hear constantly in all those years is that when people come and visit us, you know what they say? I sense the spirit of the living God right here. Isn't that the most important thing? And the love amongst this congregation is wonderful and they felt home here. That is not a human endeavor. We don't sit around and plan that. We don't have training for how to love people. What they're experiencing is people birthed from above with authenticity. Real people filled with the grace of God. Grace reigns. Praise God. There was once a minister who um, lost his position and he started another church, and he titled it Beyond Grace. Is there really anything beyond grace? No. We live in grace. Grace reigns. I just want to mention this because in my life personally, I've had my ups and downs where at times in my life I've wondered, am I on the outs with God? Am I still saved? How do I get back in? And the truth was, I was never out. I didn't ask for this, and I couldn't get this on my own either. Thank God I've been born from above. How about you? What a gratitude in my heart. So I just want to close with these words. We're saved when we're despairing from legalisms. Legalism kills us. Don't fall into legalism for salvation and works. We're saved by grace. We're saved from the paralytic fear of death. I am not afraid to be dead because I know where I'll be. I'll be in paradise. I already put advance notice in. You better have a big party if I die while I'm still your minister, right? I want celebration. 
You can cry all you want, please do. But I hope that you'll also be rejoicing and celebrating and having a party because I will be, and I want you to join me. You know what I'm saying? There's no fear in death. I don't think about, I don't like the dying part, let's be honest. But death itself, man, come on, grace reigns. I'm not going to stand before the Lord God Almighty and have to explain all my sin. That's all been removed. That's the gift of God to us in Jesus Christ. So we have peace, don't we, with God and each other today? We can. Christ's reign over us now and forever. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's the good news, and this is really important. The world needs to hear it. Not a lot of us share Christ with the world around us. Not, not many do. The statistics aren't that great. But as the opportunities arise, I really want to encourage you to tell people the good news that it's not something we do, but it's what Christ has done for us, that we are saved. It's unique, and the world doesn't understand it. We have to explain it and make sure the gospel's understood. Take that time, and you get the opportunity to do that. And then the gospel of Christ, I think, also tells us that it's had an eternal impact. And for those who believe it, and I trust Jesus, I do. And, and it hurts me when I think of family members and others that kind of laugh it off or go about their daily lives and they don't think about the bigger picture and they're still living over here suppressing the fact that they're going to die. I've heard, well, I used to work in ICU and I've done a lot of funerals. I don't know how many I've done over the years and how many people I've seen die, but I've heard all kinds of things. One man had a heart attack. He didn't expect to die in CCU at Madigan Army Medical Center, and as he's dying, we're trying to do CPR, we're trying to keep him alive, his EKG went bananas. We knew he was going to go before he did. And he cried out, help me doctor, help me doctor, help me doctor. And he was gone. He didn't know. That was the day. I don't know if he knew Jesus or not, but what if he didn't? See, it's, it's, it behooves us not to assume and, and presume there's another day. When you have an opportunity, at least put something in there that helps point people. Like Maddox, on the way to the hospital, I texted Karen and say, we're praying for you. We're praying for you. Keep bringing the spiritual component back to the table because this person over here needs a living spirit alive to God. And we can't afford to let that pass. And I pray for our family members every day that they'll know the truth and the truth will set them free. That they can live in grace. All fear is gone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is that we have been given forgiveness, that we have been made right with you, that you have declared us to be righteous and justified that our sins have been totally completely eliminated not even a hint remains when we stand before you in heaven you will say well done good and faithful servant and we might all just burst out crying in joy wow grace is greater than our sin lord we didn't we didn't ask to be sinners but we are and we didn't have any way to achieve a salvation, but you provided it for us, a gift to us. And God, this morning I pray that if anybody here in church was worried about their condition with you, 
worried about doing good enough or being good enough that maybe they could be saved and then the next day not and it's just a struggle. I pray, God, that they would find peace in their hearts right now in this very moment that they could say, Lord, thank you so much that your grace is always greater than my sin, that my faith in Jesus Christ, your gift to me, I trust. Thank you, Lord, for including me in your family and loving on me and never giving up on me and renewing my, my spirit and my mind and my body day by day. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you that life reigns right now, that I am free to love you back, now and forever, in Jesus' name, amen. Got a text from Karen, and um, he's at the hospital still. He's got um, possibly a upper respiratory infection, <clears throat> but he's doing better. So thank you guys for... <laughs> We all have families, and we just have the privilege of having a microphone in front of our mouth. So please let us know. You know, we have prayer. If you need prayer for any of your families, right here up front after church, uh, or just come, Bruce and I are happy to pray with you about whatever might be on your hearts this morning. We're singing Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Does that go with your sermon? <laughs> all right, here we go. grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount of poured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is infinite matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe you that are longing to see his face will you this moment his grace receive grace grace god's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace Grace that is greater than all our sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. It did, apparently it did fit. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Praise the Lord. Grace is greater than our sin. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And oh, may the love of the Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus Christ, in whose grace we live 
and the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit and all of God's wonderful people can say amen. Have a happy Mother's Day. God bless you. Uh, come on down to the fellowship hall and grab something goody to eat and enjoy yourselves. Thank you. Thank you.